Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's episode 103 of the podcast. It's my podcast. You know what podcast I'm talking about. It's the Jake This of Jake Johansson podcast. And I'm that guy. Um, so this week, I've been having a great week. I'm going to tell you about it in just a second, but I'm going to tell you where I'm going next week. July 9th, I'm going to be port- in Port Angeles, Washington at the Next Door Gastro Pub. Port Angeles, Washington. It's a small place. If you're listening from there and you don't come, I feel like you've let us both down. Um, July 10th through 12th, I'll be in Tacoma, Washington at the Tacoma Comedy Club. Bigger place, but still, what's your excuse? August 7th through 10th, I can't blame you if you live in Washington, D.C. It's big and maybe you can't make it, but I'm going to be there for a lot of nights. August 7th through 10th, Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Improv. August 21 through 23, I'm going to be in Indianapolis at Morty's. That's in Indiana. If you didn't know where Indianapolis was, you weren't coming, but I told you. September 4th through 6th, I'm going to be in Cleveland, Ohio, back at Hilarities, where I take my special. And people are asking, and you can find out about all those dates at jakethis.com. People are asking, hey, what about that special that you've talked about a lot? When is it coming out, and what's the holdup? Well, I would tell you that the holdup is you're trying to get to the best place to put it out, and then people kind of string you along, and then, you know, show business is just a think tank for people who are trying to figure out new ways to disappoint you but it is going to come out eventually and i think i'm down to it's going to be an internet release it's going to be a five dollar download classic that's the new classic way to put it out so i'm excited about that but it's upcoming and the soon i want it to come out soon too i get it i get it it's not just a thing that i'm talking about it's it exists i've watched it a lot of times i want you to watch it and so that's going to happen and uh, i think it's going to be called pictures of my dinner so there now you know what it's going to be called and you know it's going to come out soon and you know you're going to be able to get it somehow by going to jakethis.com so this week was a great weekend i worked on a little short film project i don't get to do a lot of acting roles because frankly i don't like to audition for things because it's just to <laughs> talk about the think tank of ways to disappoint you auditions there's it's it involves a drive across town and then some different ritualized versions of humiliation and so I had not been going on that many auditions just because I just wasn't up for the hurty, hurty, hurt part of it, of the inside of your stomach and and heart bowels. And so um, I was lucky this time that a friend of mine was doing a short film. Tessa Blake was nice enough to put me in this film, and it is was a great role, and it was a great time, and it was really fun to work with some other uh, fantastic actors and i'm hoping that uh, i'll be able to tell you more about it later as it gets closer to coming out but i wanted to say thank you to tessa if you'd like to hear me talking to tessa and her husband ian um my wife and i went to visit them last summer and uh, that's episode 57 of this podcast if you want to listen to that it's free it doesn't cost anything uh, you know if you want to go back and remember things that's a person who gave me it was a person that i knew so there you go a person that I knew gave me a job, and I think I did a good job for her on her thing. It was part of the AFI uh, Women in Film Summer Workshop, and it's 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 got a female positive message. And I play sort of an asshole, but I get I redeem. I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, hey, it's me playing an asshole. That's not easy, ladies and gentlemen. Because I, you know, whatever. Um, 
This week, my guest on the podcast is another person who is not an asshole. It's uh, my friend Baron Vaughn, who has another podcast on the All Things Comedy Network, which is the network that I'm on, All Things Comedy. You can go to allthingscomedy.com. You can learn about all their podcasts. My guest last week, Harlan Williams, has the Harlan Highway. He's got a podcast on the All Things Comedy Network. My guest this week, Baron Vaughn, has a podcast on the All Things Comedy Network, and it's called Deep Shit. And so, except it's you got to spell it with some asterisks or apostrophes or something, but you'll be able to figure it out uh, when you type when you start typing into the "Help me find out about it" box of your Google thing. Um, so I met Baron last year at the L.A. Podfest, or maybe I met him actually before that. And I performed on a show that he does over in Silver Lake. He, he produces a show over there, and uh, he's he's really a great guy. And he's and he's got some. He's a thinker. He's a thinker and a talker, and that's what I do. And so he came over and we hung out and we had a thinky talky thinky talky talk, and uh, that's what's going to be coming up right now. As soon as I play some more music. Let's get on with it, okay? I feel I, you get the general idea of this episode, right? Okay, here we go. Okay, I think this is it. Hooray! Baron Vaughn, thank you for being on my podcast. It is an honor and a privilege. It's it's exciting (laughs) to have visitors here in my cave. Yeah. And you've traveled from far, far across town. Yeah. That's Los Angeles is the only city I feel like it feels like it's a journey. Anytime you have to go from one side to the other side. Well, and you're currently carless, which I feel like is really the brave new world of being in Los Angeles. Oh, it's wildly convenient. (laughs) <laughs> it's just it it's what the one thing it has really done is made me realize how little this city makes any sense. It's just it's not a city, it's nine cities that all grew to the point of connecting, which is why there's no cohesion in how the city is laid out, like where things are, there's no one downtown. Well each different every time you drive five miles or even three miles you are in another place that has its own nucleus yes exactly and uh, a little shopping area and so it's all so when i meet people on the road comics and then they say oh, i'll move into los angeles i i kind of have come to realize that means that i'm going to see them less than the once a year for three <laughs> days yes that's actually that's true for just friends I've had people I know that are like personal friends from New York that moved here, and they live in Venice, and we've never seen each other. Yeah, well, this beach, the the there's kind of this area, this beachy area, and then where you live, which is over in the more foresty area, and well, groovy town. It's groovy over there. It's groovy. I mean, the the really hip alternative comedy yep. clubs are over there. There's a couple of cool ones over here, but anyway, it's because there's there's it's it's a walkable area. So I feel like there's actual foot traffic and like people can walk to shows. So there's been a couple shows that sprung up in that neighborhood. It's like maybe four shows in my neighborhood now. Near where you do your show. Yeah. Yours is at the Virgil. The Virgil, right? yes. And so there's places you can walk to from there? Yeah. I walk to the Virgil from my place. Uh-huh. And then there's like the Palace, which is a Chinese restaurant. There's uh Spitz. The Palace sounds so uptown until 
you realize, oh, it's, there's Chinese restaurants that they call the palace too. Yes, <laughs> yes. It sounds like it's going to be some sort of fancy sort of nightclub situation like a, with the doorman and or or the old, or an old vaudeville place or or oh, an old really? movie theater that they've gutted out. Yeah. Oh, it's at the palace. Oh, I'm gonna go right. See, I'm going to go see Henny Youngman down at the palace. The, de- the, the decayed palace theater. Oh yeah. That does that does make a lot of sense actually, but it's just a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, still good. And um, I think it's called Comedy Palace is the name of that show. And then there's this uh, uh, Greek restaurant called Spitz mm-hmm. that has a show called Swallows. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> I get it, Spitz and Swallows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think oh, then there's Public House as well. Uh oh, we have an interruption. Public House oh, or hello. Public House? Hi. Yeah, hi. Why through the window? How's it going? It's going okay. Oh, Good. God, you look so professional with those microphones. This feels like this feels like uh, like Mr. Rogers a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird the window. It's... Normally I just barge in through the door and you know, but I thought I'd you know do the window thing. Um, Jerry, I need help with the uh, email. I have to oh. Okay. Let me. Um, all right. Can I pause for a second? We can pause. Yeah. Please keep all of this. You've got a little visible ankle going on, but yeah. I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I'm not, not that I'm a fashion expert. Check, check. I, yeah, check. We're on. You're We're in. <clears throat> doing yeah. it. We're back. We're back. My wife okay. just had a little email issue. And it's not solved. The email place. You used to be able to get email, like my email is jake at jakethis.com. Right. And my website is jakethis.com. Mm-hmm. It used to be very easy to set that up, but mm-hmm. now you've got to have your website at one place and then you have to have your email at another place and then you have to have it connected, hook through and forward to another yeah. thing. And then the fact that I've got the two accounts, mine and hers, joined together and the place that does it has got some universal password and they won't let me into the part where they say I have to pay my bill. I can't get in and pay. I can't pay. What for... bill is it? You have to pay to have Jake at Jake. This. Oh, you mean like, like GoDaddy or the, whoever you use, whoever to, it is, your, right. Uh, it's not GoDaddy. Um, it's uh, I'll oh. tell, I'll say it right now. Fast mail FM can go Fast FM mail. themselves right now. <laughs> Those FMers, they just, uh, mm-hmm. Are FMing your life a little bit. Yeah, they're not helping me. And the thing is, they're in Dublin, Ireland, which is a place that I love. I mean, and I was just there. I could have straightened this out on site when I was there. The Irish aren't really known for their uh, emails, (laughs) like their technology. Well, during the uh, big economic up explosion, the uh, Celtic Tiger there. That's what they were calling it, the Celtic Tiger. They were borrowing money. You know, interest rates were nothing. This is before 2008 and the total okay. gl- global economic collapse. Ireland was having a a renaissance economic really? explosion, right? And they called it the Celtic Tiger. That it was really going to sweep the world. It was. They were doing great. And then 2008 happened, and it was like all went up in smoke and Mm. they have these things called they call them zombie estates like these housing projects where they built all these houses with this money and nobody has bought them so now they're just sitting there and the person who owned them went bankrupt so you can't even try and buy them in uh in probate or whatever happens probate i don't know if that's right after a city has the olympics like, cause I shot that show that I was on in Vancouver, and they had that that Olympic Village they made for the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's like a ghost town over there. Nobody lives there. No, like no one can afford to live there. It's just an incredibly expensive, 
like condos and and stuff, and no one can afford to live there, especially after two thousand eight. How can? But how? What then? What's supposed to happen? Is the price is supposed to go down? If no one's living there, they're supposed to lower the price. And they Isn't do, that but right? then they, but then it's like still too expensive. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, I feel like that's happened every time there's a city. Like, I always feel like that's how the city gets the Olympics. Is like we're going to build all the stuff for you, and there's going to be housing for the for the Olympians, and then after that. We're going to sell those houses after the Olympics leave. We're just going to make lots of money for the city because of these houses, and nobody lives there. And it's going to be great, the wonderland of the future. You're going to – how – won't it be great that you can live in the wonderland of the future, but, but nobody, no, wants to live nobody there. can live there? Nobody can live there. Nobody can afford it. It's too expensive, and it's not good because nobody's there. Exactly. Right? Then it's, it's just like an expensive ghost town with like cobblestone streets and modern apartment buildings that no one is in. I, it's always funny to me when they say that they're going to do something like that, and then it seems to me like how, how could that possibly work? And then they always look at you, me, us when we say something like that. It's right. like, well, you don't understand because you're just comedian children. You don't understand how the real world works. And then now that it's all empty, no one comes back. To us and says, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. What should we do next? No one's like, well, those comedians totally uh, called this four years ago. Four years ago they called it. But it's one ghost town. I think that that's what's happening in Sochi. Well, that place was garbage when they built it, the Sochi Sochi? Olympics, right? You could walk through the doors. They were made out of cardboard and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Wow, I didn't even watch those Winter Olympics this year. I like the Winter Olympics, too, which is weird. Because most people don't. <laughs> I like the Winter Olympics more than the summer. That's me. Do you? Because, well, I grew up where there was snow. And, mm. and they look like the Winter Olympics, the things that they're doing look like more fun to me. You know, like skiing and uh, bobsledding and skating. That looks like things that you do for fun. Even curling, you would go and do that for fun. Well, I, And I Whereas think that's the, why some people are turned off from the Winter Olympics. Because they're like, I could do that. Yeah, see, well, that's why I like watching it because um, it looks like uh, it looks like fun, and I would like. I think, well, maybe wanna I want to try that. <laughs> but I'm watching the <laughs> Summer Olympics, and it's like, hey, man, I don't want to do the high jump. I'm definitely not doing Look the javelin. That guy looks hot, and he's just running <laughs> all day. He's just running in Germany. Wow, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. But that's a, that's a thing again. Having no a car, I guess, in Los Angeles has made me think about cities and governments in a new way because it makes me think about, well, why is this city laid out in this way? Like, why is there not any cohesion? It makes me look up, well, who's the mayor? And see that there's multiple mayors. The mayor of Los Angeles is one guy. He's kind of, But there's other mayors. There's now, other this, mayors of these other little places. Yeah, like right Santa now, Monica have a mayor? Santa Monica is its own city. It's its own city. We have our own city government, so yeah. we're not part of... The Los Angeles government. Yeah, we're not part of the L.A. City Council, and, and we're Burbank is the same the, thing. We're outside of their school district. We have our own school, Santa Monica Malibu School District. So in that sense, it's good because we're not part of that giant bureaucracy. But in the other sense, yeah, it's just this giant... It's a giant mess. And it's all based... When you, when you travel around doing stand-up... You go to these towns and you realize how much of America is set up that you have to have a car. You cannot – like you were talking about your neighborhood and here where I live. I can do a lot of things. Without a car, I can get to big, giant grocery stores. I can get to restaurants. I mean I could survive without a car if if the city was working the way it's supposed to work, you know, not some kind of post-disaster apocalypse thing. But if just regular – I know we're close to the Santa Monica airport, so Fine. we get a lot of this. is It's a busy day because it's sunny outside, it's and I got the windows open because it's warm. Yeah. But, yeah, so we can hear the planes. It's, it's nice. Just pretend 
that uh, that we're in a plane. Yeah, we're just doing this from your it jet adds, stream right it now. It adds a verisimilitude. Ver, <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. So, um, so you were saying though, like you could go to a couple different places, but that's by rare. Foot. That's rare in America to live in a place where you can do that if you're not in. Because even downtowns in a lot of cities are now dead because everybody moved out to the suburbs, so they right. don't have the restaurants and bars and. And again, that's why I like my neighborhood because it's like I can even when I had a car, if I wanted to like go out drinking, I don't have to worry about driving afterwards or before. Well, that, have, you know, I could just go, I could walk, meet some friends at a bar, have a couple drinks, walk home. No one gets hurt. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I mean, even if you're having a couple drinks, you don't want to be, you don't want to get arrested for drunk driving. And right. If you've had two, you could be, if they pull you over and test you, you might be certifiably drunk, even though you're not impaired. But then second of all, let's say you are slightly impaired. You don't want to be in an accident, but without, I mean, now they have Uber and you came over here on a Lyft car. Yes. Lyft. I'm a big Uber a booster. Well, you know, I haven't tried Lyft. I thought I would hate Lyft, but I like it a lot. I mean, u- the difference is is that Uber's more formal. You know, you sit in the back seat, so I'll take it if I need silence, like if I need to read something. I always sit in the front of the Uber car. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, Lyft, you're supposed to sit in the front. It's it's a social experiment. The whole point is that you're basically supposed to connect with a stranger. So I've had like interesting conversations yeah. with I- people about interesting stuff that are just Lyft drivers. Me too. Me too. With the Uber. But I, that's the Uber drivers. But I always mm. sit I always sit in the front. Mm. I don't like that pink mustache. I don't like the, hey, look, the everybody knows that I'm in the Lyft cars. <laughs> they all got that pink mustache, right? Yeah. I'm well, thinking no, the right they, one. But some of them hide it. Some of them just have a sticker. Some of them put it inside the car. But I feel like one of the things is I don't need everybody to know that I'm not just riding around with my friend. That's the thing about being in an Uber car. It's like I feel like I'm in stealth mode. Like hmm. me and this guy have a relationship and it's none of your business that it's financial. <laughs> you know, It doesn't matter that I'm in a Lincoln Town car. Like this is my friend. Well, no, I go with the Uber X, so I'm in a Oh, see, Uber X and Lyft are, are kind of equal. Yeah. it's it, And a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of those drivers do both. They do Uber X and Lyft. Mm. It's a it's a racket, not really a racket, just naughty. a way to make a living. They're naughty. <laughs> well, I suppose that's allowed for them to do that. Mm-hmm. To London, it is. Yeah. I heard that Uber is trying to steal Lyft drivers. There's like con- like a, one of the Lyft drivers told me there's like a war. Well, I'm sure they're trying to put each other out of business, and they're trying to put cabs out of business. I, my thing is like, look, I got sympathy for cab companies because I get how they're just getting out gamed by Uber and Lyft. But even forget about it being cheaper. The service that you get on Uber, to me, is better than in a taxi cab. Absolutely. You get in a cab, the guy always acts like he's doing you a favor. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, look, I'm I'm paying you for this ride. And he also doesn't know where we're going in a city that he lives in. And it's so, and it, oftentimes he will like to talk on the phone during the ride to ah. someone else in a language that you don't understand. But Uber is... It's because the the, the um, reviewing process, like to to actually make a comment on a driver, mm-hmm. is much easier. So they're better behaved because they don't want to get bad reviews. Like they want to get good reviews because then it, it just reflects everybody right. wants to do a good job because then it means that you are doing a good job. I've never had one where I felt like I needed to bag the guy. Yeah, neither have I. But I think that like that's probably why they're just better. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to get bagged. <laughs> but still, it's more expensive than having your own car. That's the thing. Yes. Is the, the Having your own car is that once you get over that initial hit of spending However whatever it costs, a few grand, front, yeah. it's cheaper. When they finally get Lyfts or Ubers or some kind of mass transit thing down where you're 
it's comparable to just owning a car, that's going to be great because I will be done with driving. That's what I love about New York City. Well, yeah, me too. Well, some cities, New York, maybe San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Boston, have comprehensible or comprehensive uh, no, public transportation system. No, I think you had it right system. the first time. Comprehensible? Comprehensible. We have a comprehensive mass transit system here, <laughs> but it's not it's not comprehensible. You okay. can't figure it out. And if you do figure it out, it's still you can't comprehend <laughs> yeah. it because it takes forever. You ever see that bus go by? It's reprehensible. A, yes, <laughs> reprehensible. Mm. You ever see the bus go by where the windows are so – they have these plastic windows that are so scratched that you can barely see out in, in – you can't see what's in, in the bus. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in there, you can't see what's out. And I just imagine it smells like saliva in there. It probably it usually does. It smells mm-hmm. like sali- some sort of combination of saliva and pee and sadness. That's usually what it smells like inside yeah. of the bus yeah. in Los Angeles. That's also how I figured out that, we, that the city is – because the different buses – there's different police forces in each places. Like the big blue bus is Santa Monica. Uh-huh. That's only Santa Monica. Then Culver City bus is green, and that's only in Culver City. So I, I started to realize that these are different entities that are only in their cities, that they're not actually related. So if you're on on the bus and you get to the edge of one, do you have to get off of this bus yes. and get on the other bus even yes. though it's going on the same street in the same direction? Yes. Because you, you hit the line. I think it's actually for Santa Monica, it's Sepulveda. Mm-hmm. Like you get to Sepulveda and then you uh, – no, it's like Centinella or one of those streets. I can't remember. It's one of those streets that's a long name that ends with an A. It's either Sepulveda or Centinella and then you get off the big blue bus. That's the end of the Santa Monica mm-hmm. bus and then you got to get into the red bus for the L.A. Metropolitan bus to go the rest of the way. Unless you're going to Burbank, then there's a point where you get off there in North Hollywood. And then you go into Burbank. and But some of these rides that you're talking about right now take so long. I took the bus the time... from Burbank to Venice. It was three hours. It was right. a three-hour So you don't, have, you don't want to even go back. At that point, it's just like, I'm going to get a job or an apartment. <laughs> yes. or... Most homeless people are just people who just don't want to take the bus ride back. Yeah. A lot they of people don't, don't, they don't want to go home. They just, <laughs> they just don't want to go home. That's I'm, insensitive. I'm I gonna apologize. My, I'm going to put my apartment up for sublet on my phone from here because I don't want to take the bus. Yeah, home. exactly. That's why sometimes you see them and they're like, they have cell phones and computers. You're like, what's going on? It's like, this just guy doesn't want to go home. <sighs> it got weird right there. It, it got, got well, I was trying to think of a transition because I wanted to talk about what you were talking about right before we came in here, which was about career. You kind of doing a best of times, worst of times. Yeah. As far yeah. as where you're at with your career. Well, I was explaining it to my, my Lyft driver on the way here that I'm in this weird place where I, I think just to be in Los Angeles means, uh, especially if you're in this industry, that you're constantly on the precipice of having your life change in a way that you can't comprehend and, and will be amazing or having it all fall apart at any moment. <laughs> That's what it just feels like any of those things can happen multiple times a day, any day. Well, especially at the, you know, that there's a, I, I feel like my dreams that I had when I first came here did not come true, but other things happened that were good. And I transitioned out of that initial phase of just like freak out, you know, you're not in a hopeless situation, but Mm -hmm. you can see it right behind you. You can see that hopeless situation right behind you. And you're trying to be hopeful that you're eventually going to, you know, 
get lifted right <laughs> into the next into the next place where you're not you're not fearful that it's all going to dissipate. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I've been doing for like the last couple of years mm-hmm. because everything kind of crashed in this way I was not expecting nor was I prepared for nor did I even think it was possible. What so, ha- what happened? Well, I mean if you don't if you don't I'll mind. tell you. Look, it's a combination of things. First of all, you came here from where as a stand up? Or New did York. you start here? You started in New York. I started in Boston. Uh-huh. I went to college at Boston University, started in Boston summer of 2001. So mm-hmm. this will be my 13th year of doing stand-up. Uh, I know Jake Johansson, but I do what I can. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what that I, – I didn't get that reference all the way. Oh, I'm just saying that like 13 years is not a, is not a brag. Well, 13 years is a pretty solid number it's for a, doing it's a, stand-up. It's yeah. a number. Like I, I should know what I'm doing. I can headline a show. I can do an hour of material, and then in one year I can do a completely different hour of material. Mm-hmm. That's my skill set. That's what I should be doing, and that's what I'm doing. But – do I think I'm the most amazing, most inventive comedian I could possibly be in my, my entire career? Of course not. Well, not – it's funny the way you worded it because you don't – you're allowed to think you're the most amazing comedian that you could possibly be. It's just when you start comparing yourself with other people. I mean we all strive to be the best that we can be yes. and then not compare ourselves to other people. But anyway, you've been doing it 13 years. Well, you started in Boston. There's the healthy way to compare yourself. There's the the bad compare mm-hmm. and despair, Stuart Smalley, Al Franken character. Talk about way. the healthy way to compare yourself and the bad way to compare yourself. The, well, the healthy way, the bad way is to be like, I could never be that. And why am I even trying if that's what people are doing? If that's what people are into, I'm not that. I can't be that. I'm only what I am. Uh, I should try to be more like that. Where you're, you're trying to – you're comparing yourself to what you assume is more marketable or more palatable, and then you try to force yourself into a box. That's a losing game because yes. you will, you're always going to be second-guessing yourself. Even always going to be second-guessing Even if you yourself. nail it the first time and you become really successful, what do you do next? It's not organic inside of you. I had you a know? friend, a girl I went to college with is a, like a theater professional, and uh, we were in New York, and she was working on this play. This woman had written um, Asian-American writer, but she had written this play about black stereotypes and black images in the media. And she wanted this play to start with a quote-unquote hacky black stand-up character. Mm -hmm. And she had written a page of material, but she's a playwright. She doesn't know what stand-up is. Right. So her assistant, who was my friend, asked me if I would look over it and turn it into (laughs) stand-up. Into shitty, into shitty, hacky black stand-up. So I had a a phone conversation. What you do by any? No, it's not. But I, I had a conversation with this woman. I invited her to a show. Her boyfriend happened to know Marin, who I was open opening for in New York at that time. So I said, "Come Mm -hmm. to the show. I'm opening for Mark Marin." They came and they hung out. We had a conversation. So I took her stand-up and I wrote it into hacky black material, and it was so easy. When I was writing these stupid jokes that I would never do, I was like, I could. Just do this. But it's the boiler. Pl- there's there's a boilerplate to. Well, first of all, I, as a person who's not a black person or an African American person, mm-hmm. I'm confused about what we're even. Sp- are we allowed to say black now? I prefer black. I've always liked black. I never liked African American. I feel like African American is trying too hard sometimes. And it's a well, it's a weird thing. Like I, if I said you have to call, you have to refer to my 
skin tone as European American. That just seems ridiculous to me well, here, because I'm not European. I'm an American and you're an American and we're really just talking about our skin. Black is not obviously accurate, but that's our shorthand black white. That yeah, we I don't know. There's just something about there's something about black that there's something that's I don't think it's limiting. I think it's 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 uh, there's something empowering about the word or claiming the idea of black and blackness and what isn't is isn't black i yeah i don't i've never liked african american or nubian or afro american or whatever other terms have been made up and some people like that and prefer that i think that you should ask a person what they like you know i think that's important mm-hmm. but i prefer black i you refer to black people as black or refer to white people as white it's almost like a global community like everyone in africa is black and everyone in Europe is also white. <laughs> yeah. Well, now there's been some mixing around, which I think is Definitely. where we're eventually we're all going to sort of a yeah mocha frappuccino. Nice, that's, that's what, what I'm. That's what I'm hoping for. Or who is it? The uh, Tom Rhodes has the gray joke. It's just kind of like we're just going to be gray. It's all going to be gray. Would Robert Townsend used to have a? Do you know Robert Townsend? He's one of my actually biggest influences. Yeah. He used to have this bit at the end of his show where he would talk he would do an old man voice talking about how it used to be black and white now everybody's gray Hmm. and how people used to get judged if you were black or you you were right he goes now everybody's gray dark gray and light gray (laughs) (laughs) you know so that racism found a way found a way to still still be there but uh, yeah robert townsend is awesome yeah you know and i wish there was more of him i wish there was more recorded evidence of his stand-up career because i feel like it's that hard was, to find he's from before everybody having a, a, a special CD, and a, you know well i remember the, the the partners in crime he did these like this series of hbo specials which was sort of the beginning of what ended up becoming a living color and i saw them when i was a kid and they were gigantically influential i mean he wore this like trench coat and a hat like he was like a old school like mm-hmm. like you know like a mafioso mm-hmm. and then he had like a couple comics it was like i remember it was like Sinbad was on and Tommy Davidson and Franklin Ajay and uh, Robin Harris. And then he would have musicians. He had Hammer. He had Jeffrey Osborne. He had like a couple different people. So it was like – and then he did sketches. And the sketches had all the Wayneses and John Witherspoon and Paul Mooney. And he was like this bridge of one era of black comedy to the next. Yeah, yeah. And – I'm a comedy nerd. <laughs> is that, is it well, comes? I got to I get to meet. You know, when I started out in San Francisco, he was still touring around. It was before um, mm. Hollywood Shuffle, mm. his big break movie, where mm-hmm. he became a director and all this other stuff. You know, he moved out of stand up, and so I work. I've saw I've seen his stand up act live a oh, bunch wow. of times. Yeah, and introduced him on stage. I mean, it was so. Um, but do you follow him on Twitter, Robert Town? No, I should. You should follow him on Twitter because he does a lot of uh, he does a lot of public service kind of stuff and foundation things, and he's he's always tweeting kind of positive messages. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I haven't reached out to say hello to him, but mm-hmm. I get the impression that that's something that he, I definitely if, will. If he's, you, a, if, he's he's always been a fascinating figure to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in, in my own, I guess, comedy genesis. But what the heck were we talking about before? We were talking about you. Uh, sorry, <laughs> listeners. I yeah, got, I've got this one. Uh, we were talking <laughs> we are about shaking this. We were talking about you writing um, hack black uh, material right. for this. So I wrote Asian this like I, yeah. Um, I remember I wrote this joke about fucking couches. That was a big thing. It's just kind of like, you know, you, uh-huh. just, you, you get that plastic on the couch, you just fucking couch. And just like, I just remember being like, this is so easy. I could just be this guy and maybe things would be much easier for me. 
Well, I don't, I'm not sure of the exact, you know, how you would generally describe that bit that you just described, mm-hmm. but, but there is a, there is a school of comedy where you, you kind of advance a premise as if, right, you all know how we fuck couches or you remember how, you know, you break up some glass and you put it in your food so it, you don't have to chew it up. You right. know, you just say stuff as if, of course, we all do it. Yes. And the crowd kind of gets on board with it. And there's like, we do do that. I've never done that. But, but there is, a, but there's an element of that that is both hacky and kind of surreal if you carry it to the logical to, conclusion to the, to the length of like yeah. you're bringing up things that no one really does, but you're doing it in that super confident And sometimes voice. I like... I do that in my own act where it's something that no one can relate to, but I say it like it's something that everyone can relate to, and that's part of the joke to mm-hmm. me. I like to set up things like that. It's like, you know how when you're just looking at your face where it doesn't make any sense anymore? Who's with me? And people are just like, huh? What? What's, what's going on? Is it getting dark? So that actually kind of brings me back to what just happened in Denver. Because What just happened? Because we were talking – we were kind of to meta – back out even a little bit further to mm-hmm. really get a, the lay of where we're at here because we're talking about you starting in Boston, New York, coming here, and then we're working our way up to this this transition that was unexpected that came out Yes. Of okay. So I was in New York and um, I auditioned for a show called – at the time it was called Facing Kate and I auditioned for it in New York and I got a call back and then I ended up getting cast in this pilot which ended up becoming a TV show in USA – Called Fairly Legal that had two show uh, two seasons. Now, was it about underage hotties? No. Was it about uh, uh, public defenders, attorneys? Kind of. Okay. She was a uh, what's it called? Mediator. She's not a lawyer. She's a mm-hmm. mediator. Mm-hmm. So she's alternative um, alternative dispute resolution. I see. Right. So the whole point it's it's legal, but it's fair and it's fairly yeah. legal. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? But it is a play on Barely Legal because mm-hmm. it was like a hot woman who was the star of the show. And Got it. The think tank wins again, mm-hmm. right? Scores. They shoot, they score. You know, it's funny, too, because I got a, a message from a kind of a writer that I kind of know over Facebook who told me that he was in this pool of writers that was supposed to come up for another title for our show. Mm-hmm. And he sent me 20 titles. He's like, here's a couple titles I came up with. This is at the time when the show was on and they were or just about we, to be we'd, on. We gotten picked up, but we hadn't been mm-hmm. announced yet. They had mm-hmm. to come up with a new title. And then the, the creator of the show is the one who came up with Fairly Legal. He right. said he's, he's like, he just thought of it. It's sexy. It sells. It's blah. So all those guys are just like, oh, I came up with 50 ideas. and not using any of them. Son of a bitch. Who came up with Fairly Legal? The writer did? Oh, mm-hmm. so. Um, so anyway, it shot in Vancouver. I moved from New York to L.A. because it's the same coast. Mm-hmm. I had my management and my agents being like, you know, you got to come to the coast. You got to come to L.A. I can do more for you here, blah, blah, blah. So I did. But then I shot a TV show in Vancouver. So I was in Vancouver for the majority of the time I lived, quote unquote, lived in Los Angeles. So we had a first season. We shot it over the summer. They premiered us in January, which they had never premiered a show in the winter. Uh-huh. We didn't perform. Uh, they put us on Thursday. We were like up against Thirty Rock. Didn't perform means you didn't get the ratings. We didn't get the, we didn't get amazing ratings because here's what happened: is that the test audience we got like a 96, which means that that's the percentage of people who watch the show in a test audience who said they will definitely watch it when it's on television. Mm-hmm. The highest 
rating any show has ever gotten on that network. So they, I guess they thought, well, it's so good and people will watch it that if we put it on at a time where people aren't watching TV, people will start watching TV. No, that's not how – no one's watching TV at that time. That's not because the shows aren't good. It's just because people are living their lives. Right. Or they're right. doing something that they're not staying in on Friday night you know, to watch TV or whatever. Well, and the other thing is how do you get people – people don't just realize, oh, you know what? I bet there's a good show on TV right now because I'm not watching TV. They probably put something on right now to get me to – I mean – if they don't promote it or whatnot. And they, you know, they, they did, but also, again, we premiered in the winter, a time that they've never mm-hmm. done. We underperformed. We, um, so what they did was they took their sweet time picking us up for a second season. Mm-hmm. It was a full year in between the wrap of the first season and the start of the second season. Started shooting. The start of shooting. Right, so it's going to be a year and a half before people who exactly. watched the last one get to watch the next one. And that was intentional because the network wasn't that amazingly <laughs> no happy one, with it. Because no one ever does that. So that's how good they think the show is. Yes. Is that they think. And they fired everyone. They fired the creator mm-hmm. and the, all the writers and the producers and hired a brand new bunch of people to reimagine the show. They didn't play any reruns to essentially wash it out of the minds of the audience. Mm-hmm. So that way the second season is the first season for real. This is the real show now. But it's like giving your wife a brain transplant. Like, why would you do that? See, she's not even the same person anymore. Exactly. Right? Okay. It kind of looks the same. Uh, yeah. There's clearly a giant scar yeah. <laughs> across the face. Um, so we did that, and then we did a second season, and then they took – it underperformed. They lost – Half the audience that liked the way the show was before mm-hmm. then gained another – that exact amount of people back who liked the new version. Right. So half the audience stayed and then another – so it was like we weren't getting amazing numbers. We were getting the exact same numbers. So they uh-huh. took a big gamble and it didn't pay off. So and you did two years on that. Three years when it was done. Right, right. Because, because it was a full year. year right. right. And gotcha. then after it was over, they took seven months to cancel us. Usually it takes about three months. For a mm-hmm. show to get canceled. They mm-hmm. took seven. And I sat there under contract. <laughs> unable oh, they've got to you do on any- hold. Yeah. Well, but that's the other thing they love to do is to pay you to pay you some kind of a deal, which is like they call it a development deal. They're going to put you in something later. But really, it's like we're going to throw you in the freezer. But I didn't have that. We're going to throw you in the freezer so that yeah. uh, no one else can do it. No one else can use you. you. They didn't pay me any extra money. And then you're going to cool off and no one else is... Then, then when you're coming back, they're going, where's he been? Well, he must, something must be wrong. Some anyway. must be, exactly. So they took all that time. I was running out of money because, first of all, I'm not good with money in the first place <laughs> or time management. But then also my family who lives in Vegas was having a hard time because it was recession time. It was like 2000. This is 2010, 11 mm-hmm. we're talking about. So it was like the height the peak of the recession. Oh, so you got this show kind of right at the beginning of the recession. I was gainfully so, employed during that entire turmoil. So so the economy tanks and it's the greatest day of your life exactly. career-wise, right? Because you've just gotten this show. And got I was it. paying a lot of my family's bills, like paying like mortgage bills and car bills and all this really? other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. They didn't have it because my stepfather. I know, um, but dude, that's wow. Yeah. Powerful. It's a lot of stuff. My stepfather, because my, oh, my mom was so. I'm not supposed to be borrowing money from you. You know, I'm mm-hmm. the parent. Right. I'm supposed to be taking care of you. I'm like, mom, shut up. 
and you tell me how much money you need right now because I will be damned before you guys are getting kicked out of that house. Well, but that and you know what? That is common, though. It, I, that happened to me when I first came to town and I got a development deal. You know, I'd been working for whatever you make doing stand up on the road. And Peanuts then all and once I came down here and I got a development deal and I made in one go what I made in the last year and a half. Mm. And it was like, okay, I, I, I kind of felt like, man, I, this is way more than I need. Cause I didn't, my lifestyle didn't go up. And I felt like, Oh, my girlfriend at the time's dad, he was having a tough time. I yes. lost him some money. You know, I, I bought my a sister a computer. Yeah. And I, Cause I felt like it was as much me feeling like, Hey, I don't, this this is not really mine. This should be. I should share this with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that is, it is it is generous and it is a nice thing to do. Yes. But you'd like to hope that later, which is now for you, <laughs> that it, you, when you need it, it they're going to be they're going to be there's, there to help there's you. There's one a person, bit. a friend of mine, who I believe in, who I lend a lot of money to, who fortunately did get a leg up and is now doing great things and paid all that money back. Mm-hmm. So she was one the only person that lent money to yeah. that was able to just at well, that's some point. Great. Yeah. And it was good because she gave, she got it to me when I needed it and it was like not a big deal. But my philosophy on lending money in a way because a lot of relationships and friendships are ruined because of money. So it's kind of like if I lend someone money, I kind of have to make this piece that I'll never see it again. Well, my – yeah, my philosophy is always like I'm – if I'll loan you an amount of money that if you don't pay me back, you just sold our fr- – you just bought our friendship for cheap. You know what I mean? And there's like, okay, one guy I'm not that I kind of have that about. Money. Yeah. I'm not going to loan you any more money. I can afford to lose that. I kind of can't believe that you're not paying me back. But I'm not going to eat myself up for the rest of my life about it. Exactly. And that's – I did that to another friend and he moved back here and he's been calling me and I just – I don't really – I don't really know what to say to him. Yeah. You know? Um I'll call him. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm just like, I, I lent you like nine thousand bucks, and like, uh, oh, it'd be amazing if oh, I had that. Yeah. Oh, oh, Over the a, course, it wasn't at one time, but like, I, I know, paid but his that's rent. a big, that's deep, man. Yeah, he's deep. He's, he's into deep. you deep. And you know, that's probably why he wants to make amends for it. Maybe he has nine thousand bucks. I should ask because <laughs> I could use that. Yeah, if by amends you mean a thousand a month for nine months. Well, here's be great. a here's a big big thing here. So my stepfather was a teamster. In Vegas mm-hmm. and got sick. And, you know, these guys and my mom told said it to me, they, they worked themselves to death because these guys, it's like he was setting up like convention centers in Vegas. So Vegas, of course, lots of conventions. But, of course, when the recession happened, less conventions. Yeah. Less people had less money to make mm-hmm. a trip to Vegas. So there was less work. And it takes a while in the Teamsters to be in the first ring of people who get called, the first rung of people that get called right, for the job. Right. So it takes a while to get to get to that level, and they call you, and they kind of didn't give you any notice. They basically call you that week, and they're like, can you come in tomorrow? And if you say yes, then you're on. If no, then you get moved down the list. Right. So when these guys are sick, they don't say anything because they don't want to lose the work. They take the job. They just take the job Yeah. because they don't want to lose their position. Yeah, I was in a waiter's union in San Francisco, and I got up the list pretty fast because I, I started taking taking every job, all the banquet jo- jobs that I could get. Yeah, anyway. Well, it's a similar thing, and he ignored symptoms that ended up being type 2 diabetes and also something called peripheral neuropathy. Which is like a nerve that does not sound disorder. Good. It's no, it's not. There's a lot of syllables. 
peripheral neuropathy sounds you know it's like bad. it's yeah. like your feet and your hands and and it's absolutely numb nervous nervous system disorder yeah where it's like he it's it's like a pain sort of weird your brain forgets how your nerves are supposed to work uh-huh. in a way so sometimes it'll it'll make you think you're in pain when you're not can it get sorted out with diet or medication or yeah, but Physio. he's horrible at that stuff. Like he, he just he's relied too much on the medication and not enough on like diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it is uh put a strain <laughs> on the marriage and, and the family mm-hmm. in the, in a lot in a big way. Because he's not the provider that he was now. And, ooh, I see. And he would ooh, he would call and leave me these dark because I never let answer the phone when he calls. So he would call, especially when I was in New York, he would leave me he forgets that there's a time difference. So mm-hmm. I'd get a phone call from him at 2 a.m. It's 11 o'clock in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then I'd listen to the voicemail the other day, and there was just these increasingly dark messages. These are recent. No, these are years ago. And then it was it was when I was on the show, I would get messages mm-hmm. from him because he wasn't working, and they were dark as well. But a lot of it's just about, like, male shame. Just like, I'm a father and a husband who can't provide for my family, and I, you can. And it sucks, basically. But then he would just be like, hey, Baron, uh... So, uh, yeah, you're going to have to take care of your mother someday. All right, talk to you later. Like, stuff like that. Like, I'm like, that's how I wake, that's how I'm waking mm. up. Mm. <laughs> but he qualified for disability. But it took two years for him to get the disability. Uh-huh. So I was paying the bills because I was on that show. Yeah, yeah. While that was happening. And then he got the disability finally. They paid him, like, back some. And then he just like disengaged from the family. Luckily, he has a gambling problem. Lives in Las Vegas, so that's great. But he disengaged from the family from his wife. Yeah, really? He like moved into a trailer outside of Vegas. Dude, they're not divorced, but you it's gotta like, stop me before I do that. I mean, <laughs> he's just like you. Do, he's like you don't control the air well in here. Like something about the heat or the air conditioning. He got depressed and he lost his mind. It sounds like. Yeah, my mom bit, says he's right? an addict. Because she is a recovering addict. She's like, so I know his behavior. She's like, he's, he's addicted to his medications and all this stuff. And he just, mm-hmm. he's not making any sense. So it's just kind of like this. Boy, that's a <laughs> I shame. I don't mean this all to sound as no, tragic No, no, no. That's a, but that's a shame. Well, I can relate. I feel, I feel sympathy for a guy like that, you know, because it's easy to. I've listened to your podcast, which has now become kind of intermittent, let's face it. Oh man, I'm ho- I've gotten horrible yeah. at it. You've gone trying, deep I've, into your own shit, I've been so you don't have time $50, to do shit. <laughs> Fifty dollars in my pocket, so hard every week. And I'm like, I yeah. can't put a podcast up. Yeah, well, I think you should just do a little ten minute diary update and post that. So you've got piece your of shit. That's feet. what I've been calling it. I no. did one. Yeah, because it's deep a, shit. A piece of no, shit. No, I get it. But I get it. But <laughs> that's not the kind of. You got to be careful about how you talk to yourself. About yourself. No, I'm not saying I'm a piece of shit. I'm saying it's a piece of a bigger shit. Of the deep shit. It's just a piece. It's not deep. I feel like you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to lawyer me off of I'm trying to help I'm trying you. to help you, man. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Um but I've I've been listening to I listen I've listened to some of them. And you've kind of gone, you've been slightly depressed, which oh, you talk about being yeah, depressed. Yeah, yeah. So he's depressed. You've been, de- you've been depressed. And it's all the, is it, a, it's and again, triggered by all this economic uh, kind of stuff. And there's racial stuff in there too, because I am black and we are not taught about depression. So it's like, it's not part of our culture to mental health. It, it's, it's interesting because it's like. 
I wouldn't know about this stuff had I not – if I didn't know white people, <laughs> if I didn't know people who had been diagnosed depressed and go to therapy or take meds or both, I wouldn't know that that's something that exists for me to to investigate for my own mental health. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, sometimes people want to make it about uh, – um race or skin. I was talking to my wife the other day and she said, well, race, it's ridiculous. She's taken this human, these geography classes and environmental studies things. She goes, right, we're all part of the human race. So what you're talking about is skin color. And sometimes I kind of, that it's just, I can't, I, this is kind of just a tangent non sequitur, but to, to the skin color thing, I feel like for me, I had a similar experience to what you're talking about, even though we have different skin color. I grew up in the Midwest where if you went to a therapist, like if I hadn't moved to California and met someone who had been to a therapist who said, you know, what's going on with you, you should go talk to a therapist. And I thought, well, that's what crazy people do, but you're not a crazy person. So I'm going to try it. But when I tried to explain to my parents, and this would be years ago that I first tried going to talk to somebody about, because I was depressed and I was kind of tortured and fucked up. I was operating on software that just wasn't, beneficial it was was too old for the machine and uh but even now to tell someone from where i came from that i that i'm seeing a therapist once a week they they can tolerate it they can shut up about it and not have to say out loud to me well that's thing a crazy the crazy people do i mean if the president of the united states was not the current president because he is a black person but if if there was a white president who the other party found out that they had been to a therapist. The therapist yeah. Forget it. They would be a crazy person. That was actually so, a, a plot point in House of Cards. Well, it was, you know, the, the the president's analyst. There was a James Coburn movie, you know, in the 60s about It was called that. The President's Analyst? I think that's what it was called. Huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, so so I think that, uh, that while... You know, you, you may be right that it's very uncommon in black culture. Well, it's very uncommon in 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 American culture that is not part of the coast. That's the East Coast, the West Coast, the you know. But I'm not saying it's a fact. But I'm saying it's a perception. It's a perception. So in the same sense that you say therapy, that's what crazy people do. I'm going therapy. That's what white people do. Mm-hmm. So it's like I didn't know that I had decided that. I yeah. didn't know that I had been trained to believe that right, and that right. it was actually – I was in a sense – I was in a deny, a, den- a place of denial. It's like, well, I, that's what why, – I, I don't know any black people that go to therapy. I bet you do. I probably do, but they don't talk about it because there's, right. there, there's, right. sh- there's a shame. And it's like when I'm looking up stuff and I'm trying to talk about this on stage because I feel like no one's talking about it. But like the black community is uh, high up on the list for suicides. And there's just like the, the amount of denial about mental health is kind of an, an incredible. So, and I didn't realize that I am a person that has been subject to that. That I have these hyper, like I have these ideas in my head because of how, where and how I was raised that of how, what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act because of my race, mm-hmm. which are false. They're all false. But I didn't know it was in there and that it was running me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Making me not pursue things I should have mm-hmm. or not address problems I should have because I'm like, well, that's not – that's for white people or that's for 
you know, something like this. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a big supporter of the talk, talkie helper. I'm a <laughs> talkie big, helper, helper. Ta- talkie yeah. helper. I've yeah. got a talkie helper. I've had a series of talkie helpers. I would also say don't be afraid to switch talkie helpers if you're not grooving with the relationship you've got. You know, there are, there's a variety of right. kinds of ways to, to do that. You know, there's the really formal people who... Right. They barely talk and they only ask you to talk more and then you spill it out and then you finally, when you've got it all messed, laying out on the, you solve it yourself, but they just sit there and kind of suck it out of you. Just what, like, how does it feel? You're like, I guess. Then there's, then I'm, I tend to be towards the other end of the spectrum where it's a little more of a conversation and they're, they're talking about the, what you're talking about and kind of helping you to kind of dig around and figure shit out. That's what I prefer. Um, the other thing that I just heard you mention at the, because I was just listening, because you were coming over today, so I was just listening to the LA Podfest episode of oh, your podcast. Okay. To see how yours went, because I was doing mine at the same time yes. almost, and so I didn't see yours. Yeah, because I went in to see yours a little bit. Yeah. And uh, at the Creating beginning, you were. Yeah. It was quite, kind of a funny. It turned it out was that really I, funny. I lucked out that it was a good live yeah. thing to do. Because, and the audience was really into it, too. It was just, yeah, yeah. Kind of engaged. It was really fun. I'd like to do more live ones. But my podcast is all over the place. Sometimes it's me talking, having a serious conversation. Sometimes it's just me talking. Some, you know, but it's Jake. Whatever. I'm, Jake allowed, to, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Basically. You're multifaceted. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. If there's one place you can do whatever you want, it is the internet. Yeah. It's prestigious. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful to have a place <laughs> on the internet. Of the ever-expanding internet. Someday, the internet is going to be bigger than the actual reality. Reality. In reality. That's true. You know, virtual reality will take up more space than reality. Reality. And people are going to go in there. And yeah. Oh, it's going to be Tron. I've be been Tron. telling my wife since before we got married that eventually, if we live long enough, we're going to be able to download ourselves into the internet. But then we're going to know everything about each other. We're going to become one giant thing. And, but that's going to be great. So we might as well get all the secrets out of the way Don't freak while out about we're alive. <laughs> but I was listening to the beginning of that episode, and you were talking about something that I have been talking and thinking about a lot because I first heard about it on Joe Rogan's podcast. Mm. And then Amber Lyon, who was on Joe Rogan's podcast, who is a journalist, and then she came on and he told her about ayahuasca. And then she took ayahuasca. Yeah. And came back, and she went on this spiritual journey around the world trying all of these kind of oh wow spirit medicines. Yeah. So you should check out the Joe Rogan podcast, the last time Amber Lyon was on. It's a oh, great episode. I don't know definitely. what number it is, and that goes for people listening to this now, too. But and Graham Ayahuasca. Hancock. Yeah. On Joe Rogan. He's the first person I had heard talk about it mm-hmm. in at length in mm-hmm. a very – he's, like, also an expert on, like – ancient civilizations and and different levels of consciousness mm-hmm. so some people would call him a pseudoscientist but um i don't well whenever you talk to or about or listen to people talking to each other about uh ayahuasca or any of these other kind of psychedelic psychotropic whatever the right word is drugs medicines they always sound like they're coming from a place that seems slightly crazy, but that's because you're not coming from that same place. And so right. you have to decide, like, do I want to, do I want to drink the Kool? Literally, do I want to drink the metaphorical Kool-Aid yeah. and go to that place or not? And Well, there's starting to also be more research about it, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, so... Have you looked into the ayahuasca thing? Because you mentioned that you were considering it. You mentioned that you knew someone without yeah. outing that person, but... Yeah, I where- mean, it's it's still freaks me out a little bit. It still is kind of scary to me. It's still 
is something that's in the back of my head that I haven't put my best foot forward in pursuing it, mainly because I have been distracted mostly with all this other crap that's been going on. Well, because if you want to do it, my understanding is that what you want to do is you want to you know, get a bucket and a diaper and fly to Peru. <laughs> you know, you don't, don't you have to go to... Uh... There, are, there are people in California that have it. Like shaman, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's the thing. You want to do it. You want to do it with a person who knows what you're doing, and uh, how do like, you know? Yeah. Because it's also in the states anyway. It's not a legal thing, so you need to find a place that is. But there are places, especially in California and New Mexico, that you can find a shaman mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing. Usually, they're they're usually Peruvian. Yeah, I would I would imagine. And you go there and you have three or four experiences or don't know. Don't know. That's that's where I that's where I start to now, know. When you what say happens. you don't know, do you mean you don't know or you don't know because we're on the internet right now? No, I just mean I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but how I would know I what... know because we're on the when we turn this off, I'm gonna ask you again. I'm telling you, I don't know. But is that what you would say if we <laughs> Yeah, if yeah, we were okay. not on I would like I don't know right. what happens after but that. But so you've you, but you have considered you have considered doing that. I've considered it because it's it's look it almost seems like a desperate measure to me. It, 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 it is. feels it's like, like that to me. I seems like feel from desperate. You. I feel like I'm willing to try anything. Like, sh- I'll try the spirit tea. I'll try a therapist. I'll try. I'm going to st- start exercising more. You know, why, why not become a vegan for a little bit? Like, so whatever is going to make me feel better. I've been doing the exercising. I've been doing the talkie helper. The talkie helper? I'm trying to get started doing meditating. Oh. It's hard to... It's hard to make the time to do that for me. But that yeah. is a thing that I have talked to so many people uh, about who say that it's really helped them with this type of stuff yeah. that we're talking about. I know a guy who I will not say who was telling me that he felt he was getting addicted to Adderall. Like he didn't, he wasn't prescribed for it, but he had a friend that had some and he started taking it because it helped him get things done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a focus drug. And then he felt like he was going too far with it. And so he started meditating instead and he says it gives him the exact same amount of focus. Well, that's great. Yeah, for him. <laughs> it worked for him. I well, you don't know work that for everybody. it wouldn't work for you because you haven't tried it. But no, I haven't. This is just, a, again, I feel like we're on to we're on to some, this is a nugget. This is a kernel. If you're taking a drug that wasn't prescribed to you but that a friend had some of that you just are taking, that's a maybe kind of backup <laughs> and uh, hit pause for a second and say, look, if if – if you did if you did that once or twice, then maybe you need to go talk to a doctor and see if you should be taking it, or you need to cut that out because there's a reason that it's a prescription drug. And I think that's where you got with it, where you're just like, this is a problem. On the other I hand, we're talking about doing this. flying to Peru to take ayahuasca, which we is are, illegal in we this are. country. But so. that's not, yeah. But there's no doctors, at least not in this mortal no, world. No, you're going to talk to a guy who's boiling up some leaves and roots yeah. in a pot over a few days, stirring it with a boat oar, that then. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to drink that in a circle with a bunch of strangers while a guy sings. And you're probably going to meet a serpent. Yeah. On the other end, it's probably going to be like, sup, Jake? Speaking parcel mouth. I don't understand. Par- pa- par- is it parcel tongue? Parcel tongue? Parcel, parcel tongue, mouth. parcel mouth. I think they're in Harry it. Potter shit. Yeah. I know what you're talking I know. about. I know you knew. You met my daughter. <laughs> you don't think she knows about Harry Potter? I think she does. Did you read the Harry Potter books? Yes, I did. I didn't read... Did I read the last one? I did. I read all of them. Yeah. Did you start when you were a younger man? No. You... I, you know, honestly, I fought them. I didn't. I didn't think adults should be reading it. I, even though I was like twenty-two or something, it was only after I graduated college 
And a friend of mine who was older, who I thought was a really good person, said, like, nah, man, they're fantastic. Like, he wasn't being effusive and crazy about it. He was just like, they're really great. And so I read the first one. I think at that time, the fourth one had just come out. Mm -hmm. So people were talking about it again. So Mm -hmm. I went into, like, a grocery store and bought the first three books. And then I read the first one. I was like, that was all right. Read the second one. Like, that was better. And then read the third one, and I was hooked. The third one, I was like, this is good. Yeah, yeah. I, that's how – I mean I came to them as a parent. My mother read them when they were first coming out. Mm. And, you know, she's obviously older than me. Mm-hmm. A little bit. <laughs> but I just uh, – it just didn't see – I was like you. This doesn't – it's not for me. And then when the first movie came out, I thought, well, this is a way for me to, to see. This is – my phone usually rings once during the podcast. Perfect. So that I did it. Um, so – so the first movie came out. I watched the first movie, and I thought, this is kind of for children. So I'm good that I'm not reading the, the books. But I saw the first movie. And then the second movie came out, and I thought, I'll give it a try on cable. I watched the first 10 minutes, and I go, this is for children. I'm not going to watch it. Then my daughter, my wife started reading the books to my daughter. She, both of them, loved the books. Then then um, they were talking about the books all the time. Then it was fun to watch the first two movies with mm. my daughter because they're for children, but they're they're kind of better than just some crap for children. So yes. you get sucked into them. And then when it came to the third movie, like you said, now it starts to get to be more grown-up plot. And as yes. the kids get older, by the end of those books, there's some serious shit going and down. And that third movie I was, it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, like the guy who did Gravity. Mm-hmm. And Children of Men, like that's a grown-up director who directs real, actual, interesting films, and that's the guy that they got. Let me tell you something yeah. about Harry Potter. Okay, Voldemort. <laughs> yes, we're not supposed to say his name. He's, he cannot be named. Should not be. Voldemort. Named. Yeah, is a serial killer. Ooh, that's true. That's the truth. That is true. Those He's books, a madman. Those books are about a serial killer People who started as a boy, as a kind of a tortury boy cr- nut. I mean, it is it is the profile of a serial killer. He was disturbed. He was tortured animals, like all the all the classic yeah. signs. There's some there's some there's some deep shit in there. Magical Jeffrey Dahmer is what he <laughs> what he is. <laughs> Jeffrey Ooh. Dahmer was not trying to kill those boys though. He was trying to make a zombie sex slave. Oh, okay. I, I don't mean, know that much what, about Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, that's what he was doing, and it okay. kept kept going wrong. Who's better than Ed Gein? There's no. They're all. They're all. They all suck. It's all terrible awfulness. We've uh, got to stop killing each other. The Zodiac t- killer. We've got to stop trying to create zombie sex slaves too. Yeah, that's 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 an important message. If you can't just get on the internet and hook, <laughs> and hook up with somebody who wants to dress in a kind a of a mindless slave. like, if you want to have mindless sex with someone with zero uh, connection, I feel like that's totally doable. That's why Craig made a list, <laughs> and he's checking it twice. Right. He, got to see who's zombie. He didn't really want to help you sell your patio furniture. <laughs> He wants to. He wants to get you off the streets. Craig is a super freak. <laughs> but anyway, so that's been the after the show was canceled. Like I ran out of money. I'm loving that you're bringing us back. Yeah, I'm bringing it back. I ran out of money pretty quickly because I was paying a lot of other people's bills. We I waited around for seven months. wasn't able to work. I just kind of hit broke place early, and then kind of has been there. And then then over the last. The next following year was basically every bad financial decisions I've made ever all caught up to me. What kind of bad financial decisions do you feel like? Um, what advice would you give to people who are in a 
situation? Like what, what are the, what's like two or three things that you would say, look, don't do this. Open your mail. That's probably really important. You've got to open your mail. Got to open your mail. Uh, because tell them why. Because it's probably important. <laughs> you talking about your bills and whatnot? Or? Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I have a weird thing about mail. Like it's like if it looks important, I don't open it because I'm afraid I'll lose it or something. I, I say this on stage. It's like that's going to mess up my filing system. I don't have files. I just have piles. I have piles in my living room. Important mail, dirty underwear. I'm still confused about how this important mail got mixed up with this dirty underwear. That's basically what I have. But piles are really the same as files is what you got to say. Kind of, but I still have to go through them and look at things because they're not organized in any sort of way as much as like, that's all important. It's got to do something. But then I ignore it. Mm -hmm. I continue to chase 50 bucks. And then all those people are calling me and freezing my bank accounts and absorbing money and garnishing wages. So it's like I have back taxes. I have I got sued by my own college uh, for defaulted student loan. Um, just like it was just all these different things that are that mm. are adding. I can't even get a personal bank account right now. So you got some organizational skills that you need to kind of get a hold of. That I don't have. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's and it's these are the things that I feel like I needed to insta- instigate. A decade ago for them to be effective. But now I'm past the point of repair. No, I don't think that's true. I can, I'm putting things in place now. So in 10 years, this doesn't continue to happen, but I'm already in a situation that it's too late to fix. I just have to like the things I could have done for the situation to not become this. It's past that time. I get that. But, but it may be possible that you could do some consolidation, debt consolidation and that type of thing. Yes. I'm not a financial advisor. But not but for student loans. Student loans. I can help you. I, yeah. I know how you can get some ayahuasca and I do okay. know about debt consolidation. Well, that's the thing. It's just like it's one thing after another. And it's like also the IRS made a lot of mistakes. Someone's finger slipped and put a seven in where a six should have been, which is why I never got mail from them, which is why I never oh. got a phone call from them. They just started putting – they put a lien on my bank account, started garnishing my wages because usually – they, they have to because this has happened before. They send you a letter. Hey, if you do not contact us within 30 days, we're going to start doing this. Never got that letter. Mm-hmm. So they sent it. And when I finally was trying to figure it out, that's when I found out they had the wrong information in their, their system. Oh, man. And then also um, two years of calling the IRS basically every month. Last week is the first time I was told my 2011 taxes were not filed. And I did file them. They just lost it. Do you have a copy of it? Yeah, I filed it again. It was already done. I just had to right. sign the thing and send it again. And I'm uh, getting a refund for 2011, but they'll absorb it. So what's going to happen, it looks like, is I'm finally going to stop getting my checks garnished uh-huh. by the IRS. because You're I'm on your way out of the now tunnel. Paid to You're on your way. You're getting out of the hole. Exactly. I'm starting to get out of the hole and start to have money in my pocket that I can use to pay my – because it's, it gets – if they're taking the money before I even get it, then it means that I'm backed up on rent. I'm backed up on any other yeah. bills that I have because I never even got the money. Yeah. And I think I'm going to get money, and then I just don't. I've had checks Dude. that just – I did Conan January 2011 just never got paid. Because they sucked They just it. took they it. They sucked it up. Same with Craig paid. Ferguson. It just – they just took it. 
People who are listening to this can now go watch those on yes. the internet. Go watch the Conan and the Ferg on and the you internet. You can see the guy who I'm talking to being funny on television. And then you could say to yourself, I can't believe how funny that guy is <laughs> for a guy who can't get paid for anything because the IRS is sucking his money out of the bank. And that's the thing. And the irony is that if the IRS, if IronVaughn.com. Yeah. If I would have worked something out with the IRS and they didn't hold my money, they would have actually been paid faster because when they garnish it, they put, they've taken it themselves and it gets put in a completely different pile Mm -hmm. than if I sent the money, that money I sent gets expedited their money. The money they took just sits there because they got to figure out how much of it they're allowed to take. And and then they they have have to process it and blah, blah, blah. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, so I'm getting garnished still while they already have been paid but they haven't processed it to file the paperwork for me to not get garnished anymore. Dude. It's like a, I get backed up like that. And then I have like my cell phone bill and like all these other bills that I got to pay. Where it's just like, well, I got to be able to call people. Mm-hmm. But now I don't have the money to pay that. So hopefully Jesus works it out or whatever. Oh, man. And it's like a combination of stuff like that. And it's like it doesn't make me feel as cheesy as it sounds. It doesn't make me feel creative. It doesn't make me feel like i am achieving anything you know that's what i'm saying i i realize now because that's my biggest thing is that i i have a hard time recognizing my actual accomplishments that like sure i've done conan twice ferguson uh half hour comedy central at 13 years where i am i'm 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 in a good place like yeah, am, yeah. am i selling out theaters and stuff no that doesn't happen for everybody in it might not happen for me it could still happen for me who knows yeah you never know but for what i've done i have stuff to show for it you're doing good it's just yeah you but you, it's when i look at my bank account and i'm like hmm i have negative 48 dollars i see what you but but now you've kind of filled in the blanks of some of the stuff you were talking about at the beginning about how mistakes that you've made in the past you're kind of now still sorting that out to get so that you're not treading water so you don't feel like you're treading water all exactly the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what it feels like. It's been two years of treading water. Going out for additions and in the last seven months not having a car, taking buses and borrowing people's you know, mm-hmm. cars and uh, maybe stayed in a relationship a little too long to borrow a car. Um, <laughs> oh, like, dude. Yeah. That's hurdy. It that's is. hurdy. It, it like, was not I don't good for either up. of us. I don't want to break up because I need to borrow I mean, it sounds car. it sounds shallow the way I say that. But it is partially no, true. No, it doesn't. I don't. I don't it is feel like it's true. I don't it's feel also, like it's shallow. I think it's it's uh, desperate. It's desperate, and also, I wanted it to work out <laughs> between her right, and I. Right. Yeah, it's tough. Like I did want it to work out, but it was not working out. Well, also, relationships are tough when your financial situation. And it wasn't like is, she was having the best time in her yeah. personal life mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. So we both are kind of two broken people. <laughs> Maybe a fourth of a person that we're hoping to be at least half of a person if we were together. Yeah, there's a comic friend of mine. I mean, I haven't seen him for years, but he was started off, I knew him when he was a comic, and then he became a writer, and I think he's pretty successful. His name is Bob Nickman. Good and, name. Uh, yeah, it's a great name, and he's a pretty funny guy. And uh, he he said to me one time, you don't get what you want. You don't get what you need. You get what you are. That's how the, in relationships. So whatever level you're at when you get it in your, in terms of your personal growth, 
that's kind of the person that you are going to wind up in a relationship with. That's what you're bringing to the table. And sometimes, and sometimes there can be a slight disparity and sometimes you can aspirationally wind up with someone who's a little bit ahead of you in the therapy kind of department. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you can come in at the same level and then one of you starts to go to a talkie helper, gets on some antidepressants or something, and then goes to another place. And now the other person still is like, look, I want to get drunk and throw ashtrays at you. Right. You know, how come you don't want to do that anymore? what you are. So it means I'm definitely bipolar then well i'm just saying that because <laughs> that's what i've been that getting. in a relationship when you're kind of sitting across the table from that person and and you can't believe how fucked up they are and all of this is because of them being fucked up the reality is is it kind of takes two to tango and you're either Absolutely. you're either doing the same thing that they're doing or it's like a dance when they're going forward you're dancing backwards and right. when you're dancing forwards they're dancing backwards that's how i that's how, and i i just when he said that to me it was like, oh, that is – it seemed deep. It is deep. I, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. It's very deep. I'm going to tell that to other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm now I'm, I'm going back into my – to the annals of my relationship history being like, man, that has happened multiple times. Maybe every time. Maybe that is something that has happened every single time. Mm-hmm. Something is – it just blows up in a way that I'm like, why did I not see that this was going to happen? Relationships are tricky. You know, I've been now married for uh, – we're going to be 12 years this year. And Congratulations. So, thank you. Um, and so it just kind of – you get deeper with a person, but it's complicated all those steps of the way. You mm-hmm. know, we're at a place now where we've got a really deep understanding of each other, but it's tricky because you're a, she's a separate person from me and I'm yeah. a separate person from her. And we're constantly faced with the fact that this other person will not do what I want them to do, you know, because <laughs> they have their own right. Right. That they so you got to compromise. Hopefully you like to do the same things enough of the time that, that you enjoy that. And hopefully you can allow each other the freedom and space to go do the other things. The other things. Yeah. Somebody said that to me recently, um, that, that the definition of compromise is you don't get what you want. Yeah. Right. And Otherwise that's a hard to be a compromise. That's a hard thing for people to get in relationships. I think, I mean, I was just saying this <laughs> to our couples talkie helper, um, that, uh, <laughs> you know, helper in a, in, in, in a relationship, you think, well, I'm in love and she's in love and we're going to be happy, happier all the time than we would be when we're single. And the fact is, well, you're going to be doing less of what you want than when you're single. When you're single, you're kind of free to do whatever you want whenever you want because you're the only person that you're trying to make happy. And when you're married, you're compromising. So you're sometimes, sometimes you're both doing what you want and it's the same thing and you're doing it together. But a lot of times also you're doing something that's not your number one choice, but it is their number one choice. Sometimes you're both doing your number two choice because you can't do that. You know, because so, you want to do something with each other. Right. And but that's, neither of you like, <laughs> and that's the price that you pay yeah. for companionship and relationship. And, and I think a lot of people are surprised when they, they come face to face with that to the point where they hadn't thought it was going to happen. They don't think it's necessary and they end up throwing away a perfectly good relationship. Right. And to wind up again in that situation in that situ- yeah. with the next person over and over again to the, till hopefully at some point they say, oh, look, this keeps happening again and again because this is part of having a relationship. You know, I heard this term when I was in my late 20s called um, NRE, New Relationship Energy. Mm-hmm. And it's just a term to basically describe that infatuation stage. 
that where you you meet someone that you is new and exciting and you just love everything about like everything about them is interesting even when they make mistakes or trip on a word or have a tick that in 10 years you are going to hate maybe, but at the beginning you love it, you love it, you love it, you love it, you love it. And I think that as teens and in our twenties, we confuse that for love that we think that that's how love is that we're just, it's new excitement, fire, passion, every moment of every single day. Yeah. And then when it stops feeling like that, Oh, I guess I'm not in love then. Then it takes – and I didn't realize it until my late 20s. It's like, oh, my God, I've been chasing that feeling. Everyone's chasing that feeling and mistaking it for love. Love is a completely different thing. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's love, but it's only one aspect. It's basically like the, the, the ante room when you walk in and you're like, oh, look at all the fancy stuff in here. But you haven't gone upstairs. You haven't gone into the basement. You haven't opened any other doors. You're still in the place where everyone's having a cocktail party and walking around with drinks and free food. And you're like, I guess this is what this house is like. Well, and a lot of it, a lot of what you're talking about too, that beginning stuff is fantasy. You're fantasizing all the things that you don't know. You're fantasizing that they're perfect mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. fairytale. And then when you come up against the reality, instead of really realizing, no, this is how it really is. You start to think, no, this is bullshit because it's not what I thought it was. And and the thing is, what you thought it was, you made all that up. Right. You made all that up. And this is another person. You're another person. Yeah, so it's... Uh, so you got to reconcile your fantasy with the reality. Yeah, yeah. And you hope you're in it with somebody who you who's up for the... <laughs> up, up, up for, for the, the journey. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, or the journey. You know, you want to be like, look... I want to be with you and you want to be with me and we both want to make each other happy. And so can we do that or can we not? Like, do you, do you need to stop me from doing something that I really like? Mm -hmm. You know, like if I really like going, my thing is I like going to new Orleans once a year to go to the jazz fest. I love music and I love that. And my wife is, I should uh, hook you up with a friend next time you go to that. I know this married couple in uh, Portland that goes to that every year. Good people. Really? I got a really good friend from Portland that goes with me. So Rob? No. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Rob and his wife go every year, so I'll let you know. I'll be like, hey, Rob, there's a guy down there at the same jazz festival yeah, that you might I would like. love to. He I loves, would love to see he him. He loves comedy as well. They own a restaurant in Portland. Really? Mothers. Mothers? Yeah. Okay. Great I'm restaurant. Find out about it. Yeah. I'm going to find out about it. Yeah. But my wife, it's not her thing, but she's she's like, yeah, you go do that. I support you going to do that. And, you know, so we're trying. We're trying. That's thing. good. That's great. Yeah. And does she have a thing that she does that, that you Well, don't she's like? been going. <laughs> well, not that I don't like. No, that you don't want to. That you're like, you do that I kind of couldn't believe that she wanted to go back to school. She's graduating from UCLA. She had her honors ceremony last right, right. night, which is why I couldn't go do your yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, Totally. And yeah. then. Uh, tomorrow is the big ceremony. Which so is she got be... a master's or a... no? Just bachelor's. Oh, bachelor's. She's going back. She because she went into acting and was a kind of working actress when I met her. So this is a big career change oh, thing for her. My mom's and doing so... a similar thing. She's she's going to do uh, addiction counseling. So she's, interesting. She's going to go get. She's going to go try to get a master's. Well, I guess she's getting into school and it's uh yeah it's second phase. Second, maybe third phase of her mm-hmm. life, I think you could say. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great. 
it's great, you know, because we've we've had a lot of conversations about this stuff, which is great. Having a relationship with my mom, which is like functional. <laughs> I yeah. Guess. A long time ago, I never thought that that would ever be a thing, and now she's like one of my she's like my best friend, like my mom, which is cool. Well, it's interesting because you were talking about uh, how in your culture you felt like it was a black thing to not go to therapy and now your mother is sort of becoming a, a counsel- therapist a therapist a counselor, you know yeah so uh you guys are on a similar journey right we are you know my little one of my little sisters told me that she said that depression runs in our family but no one has ever said anything about it you know i think it's much more common in everybody's family probably than people because I, the approach to dealing with it in the past was like suck it up shut up don't be a pussy. Well, yeah. Why don't you go throw the ball around a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Or... So whenever you're thinking that that's what you're going to say to somebody, you might also ask, hey, maybe they're suffering from depression. Not that that gets them a free pass or anything, but I think there's a lot of people who are kind of caught in a hole yeah. and they need to, they, there's probably some ways to get out of that hole. A whole lot of catching. But at the same time, and this is where I, I say that's what's that's what it means to be in Hollywood. All the, At the same time that all this last two and a half years of crap has been going on. Mm-hmm. Today, I have the first time I've tested for a role. Like, I've gone out on a buttload of, I think, too many auditions. I know mm-hmm. that there are people who don't audition at all and would love to be in my situation, but I think there is such a thing as too many auditions because there's no way to actually prepare for any of them. So then I'm going into the majority of these rooms unprepared, which I think is more damaging than just not going. Yeah, I don't know. I I kind of I've been on the road so much, and I I sort of stopped going on auditions for a few years, and I'm thinking of going back and trying to do it to again. Do it. But because they got to be such a distraction to me, I yes. felt like, look, I don't have time to go do that. I'm getting ready. I'm working on material. I'm trying to get ready to do things that are. I have a job in show business, and you're asking me to to do all of this preparation to go and maybe be able to get a job from people who aren't even grateful for the fact that I bothered to prepare and come in and, you know, it's like, it's like I'm a pain in their ass for the two minutes while I'm in that room. Exactly how I feel about it. And I felt like I was wasting time going on these auditions when really I should just be working on my act and becoming a good comedian because then maybe things will come my way because I have, I have this ability then it's like because all the people that are at my level that are working a lot, it's because they are funny comics or they got the right exposure, mm-hmm. but they had the material or the presence or whatever to back it up when the time came. So that is a better way because then I'm just working on my act and becoming better as a stand-up. Well, that I, I do feel like that there is a truth to that. I mean the mistake – well, not really a mistake, but the path that I took was to be out of L.A. doing that. And so it's hard to get people's attention to get that next opportunity. Which, by the way, is part of the, what happened with my TV show because I shot in Vancouver. So it wasn't. It was like it didn't even count because when I came back to L.A. and did a, a pilot season here, it was like I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe being on the TV show for two years would, would mean something. But no, <laughs> it, it literally well, people means don't see nothing. It. People don't see you. I mean, I've been going on Letterman every year and I've been generating new material and working on the road. And I got the respect to my peers and I, I'm a, you know, a draw in some, these comedy clubs. But when it comes to L.A. and trying to get cast in something or even get an audition for something, if you're not in the clubs here regularly and and now it's not even the clubs like it used to be the improv comedy store laugh factory now it's now it's these other smaller places that i need to be meltdown i need to be showing my face around have you done the meltdown 
I have, and I like those guys. Yeah. You know? I really like those guys. I just haven't been down there. I think it's been two years since I've been down, or a year and a half. I need to call them up and go down because it's fun. It's a fun it's thing. It's very to do. fun. Yeah, it's very fun, and that's you're right. That's kind of where it's happened in New York too, where it's like no one's going to the clubs. It's like all these little bar and you know coffee shop venues that the industry, when they're going to shows, that's where they're going. But it's also like you have to. I think you know what do I know? But I think you have to do the thing that you love. You know, you have to. If you and therein lies the rub, Jake, because I, what the hell is it that I love? <laughs> do you like doing stand up? Do you love doing stand up? I like well, it's here, and that brings us back to Denver. Right. Let's talk about Denver. I just did the Denver Improv, and then and this this is a good. Do you feel, feel like we're wrapping? I feel like we're wrapping it up, okay. and this is this is because this is where I I am right now. So we're circling around. Everything's just crap. Kind of financially, career-wise, but I have this test for a new Netflix TV show in which I could possibly play Lily Tomlin's son, adopted son. I'll know probably about 4 o'clock what my fate is on that. Okay. Um, So it could be like life-changing or everything's exactly the same as it was. Then I just came back from the Denver Improv. So there's the Comedy Works in Denver. They've basically been saying, meh, about me for three years. So... I never got booked there, and then my book, my agent was like, uh, okay, well, do you want to do the Denver Improv? Because I've started headlining the improvs a little. Mm-hmm. But the improvs are like McDonald's for comedy in the sense that they're all the same place. It's like, it, 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 it's like McDonald's. Wherever you are in the country, the world, if you go into McDonald's, you're getting the same thing. Does it necessarily mean it's quality? No, but it means it's the same thing and you know what it is. Well, I think it's the same thing in terms of the bar and the food and the way it looks in there. But they have different shows. Many they have different, different shows, but, but different types of shows. But I'm not a draw, you know. So and the two improvs I've headlined, which were Orlando and Denver, you know, they papered the house a lot to get people in there. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the audience are there to see comedy in quotation marks. Some people now, luckily. Do a little research. Oh, Baron Vaughn, type my name into Google, look a couple videos, and decide whether or not they're going to come to my well, show. Well, which is what people should be doing. It's like, what people look, should be doing. Listener, everybody who's listening to this, I'm sure, knows that. But the idea that, that people are at home trying to decide, what should I go see? Or there's a comedian here, and I, but I've never heard of him. Maybe I shouldn't go see him because I've never heard of him. It's like you can know enough about that guy to make it a decision. Just Go look at your listings for your comedy club, then go on the internet, type in that guy's name, watch a couple of YouTubes, and not some camera phone crap. Yeah. Watch them on an actual talk show experience, and then you can decide, like, this guy is for real. Go see him. Anyway, so you go to, you go to Denver. Yeah, and it's in the suburbs, and what they don't tell you is that it tends to be a majority black audience. It's a little bit more, quote-unquote, urban than the other comedy club. Well... Yeah, and I think partially that the improvs have figured out that there are, there are a lot of urban acts that really draw and sell their own tickets. So right. now you're playing to that crowd. So there's a section of black people, late 30s to early 40s, that despise my very being because they have a very different expectation of you're what not, comedy's supposed to be. You're not what they think you're supposed to be. Exactly. So I'm not Def Jam. I don't dress or talk or act a certain way that they they have decided for themselves is black. Thus, I am not black. And it's not even that they dislike my jokes. They dislike the idea of me. I am everything they hate suddenly on front in the stage. Right. No, I get it. You might be be 
I get what you're talking about. It's thick. You're laying it on thick for yourself. Well, let me finish. So you don't bust out the act. You don't bust out the 10 minutes that you wrote for this no, play. No, no, no. I yeah. do my act, you know? Yeah. So it's like I got my weirdly experimental, weirdly long form, you know, dark bits. Everyone, You're doing I, your thing. You do what you yeah, do. Yeah, and like I, I don't – you know, when people are like, what do you talk about? I always feel like, well, that's the point of stand-up is <laughs> to find out what it is I want to talk about and who I am. So it's always hard for me to describe my act. I always feel like it's a weird thing. To, but people have told me – Oh, you got a lot of layers in there. I'm like, sure, I guess that's how I think. Mm -hmm. So you do your thing. I do my thing. So 35 minutes into the show and I'm doing pretty well. There's this table right down to my right of black people, two men and two women. I assume a double date and they're more talking to each other and laughing to each other than they are in part of the, the, the group of the audience. Uh So, and I could see one of the guys has his arm crossed and is kind of like moving his head around like he's at church and he's, a, and he's five and he doesn't want to be there. So I engage him a little bit and I said, what's, what's going on, man? He's like, well, how, you do, how, what, how about doing something funny is what he says, right? Now, I had been doing well for 35 minutes, so I already mm-hmm. knew he was wrong. And I essentially, instead of tearing him apart, I basically encouraged him to leave I was like, you should go because I'm not anything that you want and I can't do anything for you. I'm sorry if that's what's happened. Uh, you're not going to get your money back, but leave. Just leave and never, ever talk about this ever again. Once you go out of that door, me and you are through. Do you see what I'm saying? You get to never think about me ever, ever mm-hmm. again. Just go. Just go. Don't say anything. Just go. So he did. He gets up. And his table gets up. But then he decided to go around to some other tables with black people and organize them to also leave. So he essentially got 15, 20 people, all black, to leave my show as a demonstration in a way, a protest of my very existence. Now, a completely different 15, 20 black people stayed and had a good time and made a point to come up to me afterwards and be like, I enjoy you. I like what you did, right? So I know in that one show, late Friday, I had people who hated everything. And in in a unique example of people who really just disliked, I irked them, but then also made true fans. Especially when I said what I said to that guy. I just like, look, you don't have to like me. Please continue your choice of ignorance. Just be ignorant. Be closed off. Cross your arms like that inside your heart. And I hope that at some point you uncross those and you find someone to hold your hand when you die. But you also don't have to say anything about me. Like you could just leave and go. And people over here are just having a great time with what I'm saying to this right, guy. Right, right. Because I got existential on them. <laughs> yes, what? Nope. I'm, I'm letting and, you go. And all the other comics – I kept getting into so many fights with the other comics. One of the other comics was like, I've never seen anything like that. Like I've never seen a guy basically go by other tables and just tell strangers, come on, let's go. It is a weird thing. Right? That is a weird thing. And they hate – and also the other comics were just getting into debates about how I should have handled it. Like you shouldn't tell them that you that, – that, that, I'm like, it's what's happening. I, 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 there's nothing I can do. Like, I have my act. Who, I'm not going to just suddenly be a completely different person. Who are the other person. comics? Denver's got a great comedy scene. Yeah, Maybe you Kristen don't Rand them. and Sam Talent. Do you know either of them at all? I don't know they're those both, guys. They're both young. Kristen's, like, maybe seven years into it. Very funny. Yeah, and yeah. Sam is fantastic, too. Denver's and, got an awesome comedy oh, scene. Oh, they've got a great scene. But that particular club 
is just a little outside of it. You know what I mean? So it's like the works has been there for years. The comedy decades. works in Denver. That's where I work is the comedy works. Yeah. Both those clubs are really nice and they're, and they're a great scene. And I mean, I feel like, you know, we all come up against these situations in rooms all the time. Mm-hmm. And the fact is those people who left have to realize that they made a mistake. They came to see someone that was not their cup of tea. Right. You know what I mean? And that's essentially what I said to them. They made a mistake. You did not make a mistake because you were hired to come and do your act. You do, you're hired to come and do the thing that you do. And this is advice that I got from, you know, just, it just just happens to be a black comedian a long time ago Hmm. when I was opening the show and he was closing the show and he, people loved this guy. And it was a lot of motherfuckers and this is, and that's, we're riding home from the gig and he says, you know what, Jake? You do what you do, and that's what they hire you to do. And you don't have to change yourself to try and get the people who show up to like you. I mean, obviously, we're comedians, and our job is to make the people who showed up laugh, if yeah. we can. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I can't invent a whole new me to, to try and make you happy exactly. when you show up. So his thing was, you go up and you do you, you, you be you, you do you, you do your thing, because that's what you're getting paid to do. And if they like it, fine. And if they don't like it, you did your job. And the fact is, these people made a mistake. They came to see someone that was not someone that they were going to enjoy. And they could have known that if they had bothered. done a little research. And that's what I said the internet. to him. I was like, dude, there's the internet. There's Google. Do a little research before and, you and decide so you're going to like, go out. Don't, don't act like, don't act like it. this is my fault. This is not my fault because I showed up for the gig and I did what I do. You made a mistake. And, like, and, and so that's the, that's the first thing. And also I would have, if it was like five minutes into the show, I would have felt differently than 35 minutes. 35 minutes it's where weird, you're getting weird thing. consistent Look, laughter. Over the course of a comedy career, you're going to have a lot of weird things happen. Oh, yeah. You know that already, yeah, 13 heard, years yeah. in. You're going to have a lot of – this is probably not the weirdest thing that not happens. But all. this is – this is for me, this is a weird I've, – I've never seen a thing like that. I have seen a thing where people have tried to get that going and they couldn't even get the rest of their group to leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm, so, that, yeah. so sometimes you win. Sometimes you win those things. And, I mean, maybe if this happens – if something, if you get in a situation like this again, because I mean, it seems like it's something that that you've kind of got. Honestly, I made it mind. my closer for the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the run. Well, but this this thing where you get black people who you're not the kind of black, black person that person they like, that they are into but that they identify. You know, with. Now you have this experience to inform your new version of how you might deal with this in the future, which might be different or, or not. But I mean, the uh, the positive thing that I would say out of this is just speaking as a person who's not everyone's cup of tea. You know, just because I'm not everyone's cup of tea does not mean that I'm not a good cup of tea. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You are a good cup of tea, Baron Vaughn. <laughs> I'm a good cup of tea. You are a good cup of tea, Jake Johansson. <laughs> All right. Now you go home, you get yourself some lipstick, and you write that on your bathroom mirror. Perfect. All right? Yes. I am a good cup of tea. I'm a good cup of tea. <laughs> That's what I need. Thank you. Thank you, talky person. Talky, healthy person. <laughs> now, have you built in enough time to go get lunch or what's your deal? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we high five and go see if we can get a little snack in my kitchen? All right, man. Yeah. High five in it. Thank you.
Well, thank you, everybody, and thank you, Baron Vaughn, for being on my podcast, and apologies for the audio glitch, but a special shout-out to my wife for being a guest on the podcast with her technical difficulties. You know what? Things happen. I do, you'll be happy to know that I have that email problem is now solved. And Jake this Jake at JakeThis.com is functioning. You can send me an email if you want to. Please, I'm on a compliments-only policy, and that's by request. That is not a law. And, of course, you can email me terrible things if you want to. But say, why don't you save those for the YouTube comments? Because that seems to be what every, everyone else is doing. Um, not, that, not that my YouTube comment. There are some nice people out there. Please, if you please be nice. Hey, if you get a chance, go to the iTunes and write a review of the podcast that's positive and say some nice things and give it 11 stars or however many you can. I'm not even sure how to do that. I'll be honest. I say to do that, and it would help me out if you did that, but I don't know how to do it. And I'm a fan of a lot of other podcasts, and I haven't figured it out. So I can't really blame you if you haven't done it. But if you have done it and you know how to do it, then see if you can teach someone else how to do it this week. <laughs> How about that? Uh, and I'll be back next week. Um, thank you. Don't give up. There'll be plenty, plenty, plenty of time to give up later. I mean, seriously, it seems like more and more that's true every day, that, that it just is a big, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of time to fill up with waiting to give up. And uh, try a little bit harder. Why don't you try that this week? Happy Fourth of July. Talk into the machine, please.